Good morning. My name is Ken Wolf, and I happen to be related to our speaker this morning. I had the privilege of marrying into his family. I married his younger sister, Beth. As Jim and Carol come, I'm going to, actually as Jim comes, I have an official introduction and then an unofficial one. I'll start with the official. Jim was raised in Midland, Michigan, where he attended Midland Chemical High School. Any chemics here? All right. Carol was raised as a missionary kid in Quito, Ecuador. They met at Wheaton College on a blind date and soon realized that God was leading them together into missions. They served 13 years in Nigeria with SIM serving in missions under EQUA, the Evangelical Church of West Africa. Carol wrote Sunday school curriculum and Jim conducted Christian education seminars around the country. Today, EQUA has 10 million members. Their two children, Sherry and Danny, were born in Nigeria. On home assignments, Jim finished his PhD at Michigan State in cross-cultural education. Go State. In 1980, Jim and Carol moved back to the States where Jim became professor at Wheaton College, teaching there for 13 years. Carol finished her master's and worked as a Bible study editor at Harold Shaw Publishers. In 1993, SIM called them back and Jim served as international director of the mission for 10 years. Together, they traveled to 56 different countries conducting vision seminars and helping the mission to be more intentionally international. Today, SIA missionaries serve in over 65 countries and represent 70 nationalities. For the next 14 years, Jim taught as professor of missions at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, while Carol served as a minister of congregational life at their church. Three years ago, They moved to the SIM Retirement Village in Sebring, Florida, where they continue in global leadership mentoring and are active in a Hispanic church plant. Jim continues as an adjunct professor at TEDS. They both love being grandparents to Josh, Kara, Sam, and Sahara. That's the official part. I I could say a lot about Jim and Carol, but there's two things I want to make sure you, you hear. The first one is my wife Beth and I have, well, best known him for a long time. I've known him for about 50 years. To watch Jim and Carol raise their kids, they were models for Beth and myself. It was a privilege to watch these guys. The second thing is, this guy loves Jesus, he loves the word, and he loves people. If you have ears to hear, hear. He loves his brother-in-law. Thank you, Ken. It's good to be here. It's fun, fun to try to figure out the technology of this thing as well. So 
wonderful technology people. I would love to thank the music people. That every, single, every single phrase you sang was in my sermon. How did, did you guys know about that? Uh, it was just wonderful. The whole idea of, of reaching out to the world and how, how amazing that is. Um, I'd like to talk about Psalm 67, which is really the great commission in the Old Testament. And if we could get it up on the board, oh, who, who's that guy? <laughs> We're getting close. Yeah. Um, I got here early to take one of these. No, I got this off your website. Um, but why, do, why does God want to bless us? Why does God want to bless you? Why does God want to bless the church? Why does God want to bless your family? And I think what we find in Scripture again and again, and this is the God who longs to bless us, who longs to pour out his blessing in our hearts, longs to, to help us in the, the times when we're afraid, the kinds of things that are very uh, difficult for us to understand. We have a God who loves us and wants the best for us and wants to help us in every way. And so as we look at this concept of world missions, it's basically the idea of why does God want to bless us? And it, it starts off by, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And so notice it's a prayer. It's a prayer, may God. And so our heart goes out to, today. We say, God, I have the same prayer. God, bless me. Be gracious to us. Bless us. And make your face shine, those three things. And so when God blesses us, it does basically, this idea of graciousness is God wants to give us the best gift we could possibly get, the gift that we could way beyond what we could imagine. And God wants to give it to us free of charge. That's, that's graciousness, that's grace. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And that God is merciful. Some of your translations say God is merciful. And, and that's almost the, the other side of the coin for graciousness. Graciousness is getting what we don't, what we don't deserve, and mercy is get, not getting what we do deserve. And so the same God wants to pour out his blessing in our hearts and be gracious to us and then make his face shine upon us. This is reflective of the prayer that God gave to Aaron in Numbers. It's basically saying, look, if God looks at me with a frown, I'm in trouble. Now, some of, some of you came out and told me you knew my dad, Edwin Pluteman at Dow Corning. And he was a strict German. And if he would look at me with a frown on his face, I knew I was in trouble. I was going to get a spanking or I was going to get reamed out or whatever. And so when my father would look at me and go like this, I knew, uh-oh, I don't know what I did, but it was horrible. But when, God, when my father would look at me and give me a big smile, I'd say, boy, he's proud of me. I don't know what I did, but it was right. And it's the same with God. When God frowns, we're in trouble. But God looks at us and says, good job, man. I really like what you're doing. So hang in there. You're doing the right thing. And the big smile is that tremendous sense of, yes, I'm worthwhile. I'm an important person. I have an identity that is loved by God. And over and over again, so that this is, may God. And, and this is the generic name for God, Elohim. In Numbers, it's may Yahweh. The God of Israel, be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And then some of your Bibles, the ESV has, I put an asterisk here, 
It's Selah. And I, I teach with some of the most brilliant Old Testament scholars in the world at Trinity. So I ask them, what does this mean? And they all say, we don't know. Nobody knows. Anybody who thinks they know, they don't know it. And so, but it's there. It's in the original Hebrew, Selah. It's probably a musical term. Maybe it means sing this a little bit louder. Or maybe the drum needs to get going on this one a bit, bit more. Whatever it is, it could be a musical, musical emphasis. One scholar said that he thought Selah was what David said when he broke the string on his guitar. <laughs> the point is, the writer of this psalm is saying, think about this. Stop and think. This is an important verse. Don't hurry on to the next verse because this one is crucial. And, it, and it's, a, it's a prayer. So pray it, pray it with me out loud as, as we, before we go to the next verse. And, and, and say it as a prayer. Not just read it sort of as liturgy, but pray it. And say, yes, this is my heart cry as well. Will you say it with me? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Yes, that's our heart cry. That's, in fact, to begin a missions conference with saying, Lord, I want to be blessed. I think it's pretty exciting. Then we look at the next verse, and it's a really fascinating verse. So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. And you look at that, and it's got a theme here. On earth and among the nations. And you look at this and say, why does God want to bless us? And often when I pray that prayer, it's, Lord, help me to make more money. I'm financially in trouble. Or, Lord, I'm not feeling well today. Help me to feel better. Or I've got problems with my eyes or cancer or whatever. Lord, bless me so that I can be healthy and wealthy. And maybe, Lord, even a little bit famous. Uh, and, and so you ask kids what they're going to do when they grow up. And the, and the answer often is something that makes me happy. I want a job that makes me rich. Evaluate universities, and the universities say, we have degrees that pro provide high salaries in our graduates. And the whole purpose then of education is to get a huge salary. I think those of you in the business world are climbing the ladder. So I moved to Midland, is that the next step on the ladder? I don't know where the next step is. Is it Texas someplace probably? Um, but the whole idea is my, oh, bless me so that I can climb the ladder. Bless me so that I can have a good resume. Bless me so that I'll pass my math test and get into the better university. I mean, I, I taught high school class and that was one of the key prayer requests of my high school kids. And so, you look at this and you say, this is not what God is saying. God is saying, so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Okay, there's good news and bad news in this. The good news is that world missions has been tremendously successful in the last hundred years. The gospel has grown exponentially, just like this, the number of people coming to Christ. I'm not sure if there's any country in the world now where there aren't believers. Uh, where people have the possibility of hearing the gospel in a, a first or second or third language, almost universally, anywhere in the world, people can hear the gospel now through the radio, through satellite, through the Jesus film. And so the gospel is spread through the world in a wonderful way. 
And so the fact that this church has had a passion for missions, I, I forget when it was, but it was maybe eight or 10 years ago, I, I spoke in the missions conference in this church as well. And, and to see how God has continued to use you to make an impact on the world, including the international community in, in our own midst. And you look at that and say, but that is wonderful. Whatever you're doing, how you're giving sacrificially, how many of you are praying daily for what God's doing in the world, uh, God has blessed that in a tremendous way. That's the good news. The bad news is there are almost 8 billion people in the world today, and less than a billion of them call themselves Christian. And a lot less than half of those probably really know Jesus. And so the thing is, we're getting further and further behind. There are more non-Christians in the world today than ever before since 404 B.C. or 4004 B.C. or whatever it was, or million four B.C. Um, I'm talking about the creation of the world. I've got my scientists in the front here giving me the thumbs down. Uh, but whatever, whenever God created the world, there have never been so many people in the world that were unbelievers. And there have never been people in the world that have never heard the gospel clearly. Technically, they maybe could hear it, but they, they don't. And so the heart cry is, so that, Lord, bless me, not so that I can be rich and famous and climb the ladder and get good grades in school and get admitted to a top-notch university. Uh, that's not it. It's so that the nations will be blessed. And if, in fact, we aim at our comfort, life will be unfulfilling. If we, in fact, aim at God's agenda, God's agenda saying, I have a heart cry that the whole world know me. Lord, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's not happening. And so our heart cry is, Lord, make this happen. Again, as we hear the singing, may your kingdom come. Lord, we, we long for you to rule over every, our, our, every ounce and iron of this whole world here, that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. The other thing about this is there is no other salvation other than Jesus. And the Bible says this clearly again and again. Now, this sounds exclusivistic, uh, that you say you're the only way and everybody else is wrong. It's exclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only way, but it's inclusive and the fact that it's for everybody, the whole world, anybody, anybody in North Korea can accept Jesus. Anybody in Iran or Iraq or Togo or Haiti, I mean, wherever, it's, it's open to everybody. It's not exclusive in the sense that it's narrow. It's wide. And so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. And then verse 3 is really the heart of this. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And so what's the goal of missions? It's worship. And you look at that and you say, that's amazing. Verse number one is, Lord, bless us. Number two is, so that your ways may be known on earth. And then, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And so that the Lord didn't say, go ye into all the world and plant lukewarm churches and leave. No, we want the kind of churches that praise the Lord, that worship, that pour out their heart cry to the Lord and say, how great thou art. And so God wants everybody in North Korea to sing, Lord Jesus, I love you. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, to sing to the Lord. The peoples praise you, O God. 
May all the peoples praise you. Now, this really is the main thing of missions. We're interested, you have to have evangelism, you have to have church planting, but we also need the fact that people need to grow and so that it's worship is the goal. To, to glorify God and enjoy him forever is the main thing. It's the main thing for every single nation in the world. When I took over as international director of SIM, the previous director gave me a bumper sticker that said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think he was afraid I was going to go off in some other direction. And the main thing is that the nations sing the hallelujah chorus at the wedding feast of the Lamb from every tribe and tongue. That's, the, that's God's main thing. And the way for God to bless us is for our main thing to be his main thing. And the thing that tends to divide churches, maybe it's just in Florida, is uh, are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you in favor of the vaccine or not? Do you have masks or don't you have masks? None of those things are the main thing. And those things are going to tear us apart unless we remember the main thing is, come on, nations, let's praise Jesus. Sing to the Lord a new song. And that's not enough for me to sing it. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And so you look at, at this powerful verse 3. It's really the heart of missions. What can, why do people leave home, leave security, raise support, leave their parents and grandparents? and go to a far off part of the world. Why would anyone waste their time doing that? It's not gonna help their resume. It's really crummy payment, a salary. I mean, just go on and on. It just doesn't make sense. Unless worship is more important than anything in your life and seeing the, word, the nation's worship is as important as anything. And so you can see how this psalm really touches us. Uh, say this with me again. Say, may the peoples praise you. Say that. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. See, that's a prayer. May them, may, may, may. Lord, this is my prayer request. Okay, now say it three times. The first time, say it under, sort of under your breath, like, yes, Lord. The second time, say it in a normal voice. The third time, shout it out as much as you can in a free church. Um, <laughs> may the peoples praise you, O oh God. May all the peoples praise you. Are you ready? May the peoples praise you, O oh God. May all the peoples praise you. May the peoples praise you, O oh God. May all the peoples praise you. May the peoples praise you, O oh God. May all the peoples praise you. Yes, yes, yes. This is the heart cry of missions. This is why we, why we sacrifice, why we pray, why we give sacrificially to missions. Okay, now verse 4 is, is a really exciting one. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now, I, I sort of skim maybe five newspapers and news magazines every day. And it's been quite a while since I found a nation that was, was glad. Can you name one? What about a nation that's singing for joy? Uh, we have two children adopted from Ethiopia. And so our heart goes out to Ethiopia as that country is collapsing. With the Tigray and the Romo and the others, it's just, I said, Lord, Lord, may, the, may Ethiopia be glad and sing for joy. And they can't do that with mere political change. It needs Jesus. And so what we're doing is saying, we have the answer to the lack of joy and the lack of gladness, and that's Jesus. And so, in fact, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
is, is really the, the wonderful medicine that we have. Now, again, you say, uh, but who do you think you are? And the answer is, uh, we're, we're giving the, the message of the living Christ to the world, the good news of eternal life, that we, our sins are taken away. The wonderful gospel is more exciting than anything we can imagine. One of my friends was, was speaking to a group with, <clears throat> excuse me, on the other side of the, of the mountains in the Tibet region and in the, in the mountain area, I'm sorry, in the desert area just south of the mountains and how you, you look at this and people were sitting around a campfire and just looking at the stars and the sky. One of my friends named Howie was sitting across and through a translator said, you know the God who made the stars and the sun and the moon and the sand and the water that comes out of the mountains that feeds our little oasis, that God loves you. And he actually sent his son to tell us about himself so that we can, we can be his children. We can have all our sins taken away. This, this same God of the universe loves you. And an old man across the, the fire looked at Howie and he said, this is the best news we've heard in a long time. When did this happen? He said, oh, about 2,000 years ago. And the old man said, where have you been? Isn't that amazing? You look at this and say, the world desperately needs the gospel. The only real good news there is. And then, for you rule. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. The ruling is a judge. What would happen if the only Supreme Court person was Jesus? What would happen if all the judges were basically Jesus? You think about this and you realize all the lawsuits that are going on that nobody agrees one way or the other. What if the perfect judge were in control of the legal system? We have no idea what would happen other than there'd be tremendous justice, there'd be tremendous peace, tremendous working together. And so the heart cries, Lord, may, may you be the judge of the earth and you rule the peoples with equity so that the rich people don't get all the the judgments in favor of themselves and, and the poor people get oppressed. It's basically, may the, may the people rule with, with uh, may, may the king rule with equity and guide the nations of the earth. And this is the, the metaphor of a shepherd. So we have a, a judge and a shepherd right here. And the, the good news is you can have a shepherd, that's Jesus. The, the, the head of state will be Jesus himself. He can shepherd the people. And so you look at this and you say, this is the most wonderful good news that we can imagine. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then it comes back to the chorus again, the chorus of the song. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then you see how this is the main theme of the whole song. It's basically saying, look at worship. is the ultimate purpose. And there are seven, more than seven, maybe seven and a half billion people in the world that don't worship the, their creator. And that makes God unhappy, at least in the sense that we can understand it. And so God is saying, if your priorities are God's priorities, there's tremendous blessing. If your priorities are different than God's priorities, there's tremendous frustration with life. And so I think what missions is, we're not just sort of a, an ad hoc little committee, that, a bunch of radicals that meet over in the corner to, on Go Global. Hopefully they're a stimulus for the whole church to catch on 
that God is concerned that the peoples of the world are not praising him. And we have an obligation. We are, in, we are debtors to Christ, the Bible says. We are in debt, and we need to repay our debt. And that repaying the debt is our passion for world missions. The land yields its harvest, and God, our God blesses us. Um, some of you have different translations that say God will bless us or God has blessed us. So I talked with some of my Hebrew scholar friends and Hebrew is a little bit vague when it comes to the tense in these, this verse and the next one. And so is it the land has yielded its harvest or the land will yield its harvest? The ESV said the land will yield its harvest and God will bless us. Now the harvest is very important for farming people. If there's no harvest, thousands of people die of starvation. And so the harvest is really critical. And so the blessing of God is a harvest that now we can survive for a while. But the harvest is also used in many different ways. Uh, for instance, it's used in, in Matthew and Luke, where Jesus said, or in John, look unto the fields, they're white unto harvest. And then Matthew and, and Luke, it basically says, pray the Lord of the harvest, as, as was mentioned in some of the videos, to send forth laborers. For the fields are ripe unto harvest and the laborers are few. And that's true. We desperately need a lot more missionaries. Carol and I traveled to 56 different countries doing what we call vision seminars. It's come on, think bigger. Think what could God do in this country if God were to pour out his blessing? And so they start thinking big and they start thinking innovative things they could be doing. Then all of a sudden they'd say, but we can't do it. We don't have enough people. And, and so there are literally thousands of openings just in SIM alone. Uh, Go Global, I'm sure, has uh, hundreds of, uh, of opportunities as well. And so you look at this, the Free Church has many, many opportunities for missions. And so you look at it and say, this is God's plan. And the, the land will yield its harvest, or the land has yielded its harvest. And the harvest possibly of souls. It also could refer to the fact that when Adam sinned, he, by the sweat of his brow, he had the harvest. There were thorns and thistles. The harvest would be difficult. And so when it says that there'll be a new harvest, it could be that what this verse is saying is that, that the curse will be done away. The curse that came on Adam will be no more. And the, the curse that bothers us the most today is the curse of death. The death will no longer be there. And so we're basically saying to people, the land yields its harvest. The curse will be done away. People will be coming to serve the Lord around the world. And notice that it says, and God, our God, blesses us. Notice again, in one verse, it summarizes the whole chapter. That the land will yield its harvest. People will come to Christ, and God, our God, blesses us. And then the verse 7 is the last, it's the last prayer. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. And I, I think that one of the better translations is, is, is God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. It's looking to the future. And the Hebrew in this verse could, could also be future tense. And so it's very much so. God will bless us and the ends of the earth will fear him. And so as I read five or six newspapers every day, I become quite depressed. 
I hope some of you do as well. But that's why we desperately need to look at this passage. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now, one of the fascinating things happened when we lived in Nigeria for a long time. We never saw any movies in a movie theater. They just didn't have them, or we weren't around, or whatever. So on our first furlough, we came home and saw a movie. And it was very expensive, especially for missionaries, that they basically live on used tea bags. And so that we, we spent a ton of money to go to this movie. And it started off on a beautiful snowy hillside with this really handsome guy skiing down the hill. But, and now you're not going to believe this, pretty soon some people came up behind him shooting machine guns at him. And I said, oh no, we're in trouble now. This is in the first 30 seconds of the film. And pretty soon, a whole bunch of guys were shooting machine guns at this one, one guy. And I said, oh no, I spent all this money and it doesn't go last three minutes. <laughs> and, and then he lost one ski. I mean, you think that was bad. He lost one ski. And then a helicopter came up behind him and started shooting rockets at him. And I said, oh man, what's happening here? And I looked around me and everybody in the crowd was laughing. I said, these people are so horrible. They're laughing at the hero getting killed in the first five minutes of the film. Well, it, it turned out, he finally got to the bottom of the hill. He skied into an iceberg that was really a submarine. He opened up the hood and climbed down into the submarine and went into the sunset with a beautiful woman. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy before. His name is James Bond. Have you heard of James Bond? <laughs> Okay, that's, that's this verse. This verse is, look, it looks like we're in trouble now. It looks like we have difficulties. It looks like there are tremendous worries in the world. What's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen to me personally? What's going to happen to my children, my grandchildren? The answer is, it's, it's, it's bad, and pretty soon we're going to have helicopters shooting rockets at us. No, that's just a metaphor. But the, the point is, and the ends of the earth will fear him. Got an N in there somehow. Um, but the ends of the earth, we, we know how it's going to end. We know the last scene. Now, Beth got novels from my mother while she was reading, and she would read three or four or five novels a week, probably. And what she would do, she would start with the first chapter where the hero got in trouble. Then she'd go to the last chapter. And I said, Mother, you can't do that. That's cheating. And she said, when you're 96, you can do anything you want. <laughs> and so she said, when, when I read the first chapter, I read about the problems that they get into. In the last chapter, um, everybody lives happily ever, ever after, and they get married, or something like that. And so once I know how it's going to end, then I don't worry about the middle. Dear people, that's what we need today. We're worried about the middle because we forget the end. We forget the last chapter. And this is the last chapter. The kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way to have a fulfilling life is not to climb the ladder of success in any corporation, not to get accepted into the best university you can get accepted into, not having tons of money, not being famous, that the way to have a fulfilling life is to match our agenda with God's agenda. And God's agenda is may the peoples praise you, O God, may all the peoples praise you.
And so that I think my heart cry is that, again, this is from your website of pray, give, and go. I would encourage us to pray through the newspaper. So when I read about what's happening in Haiti, I say, Lord, may your will be done in Haiti. Lord, bring people here. Lord, rather than pull my hair out and say, Lord, this is an impossible situation. North Korea is falling apart. As I mentioned, Ethiopia is falling apart. Um, Belarus is holding off gas for the rest of Europe. And I mean, you look at this thing and as a pessimist, you can say this thing's really falling apart. And um, like the mother's brothers and I don't like anybody very much kind of thing. Or uh, Eeyore, uh, good morning, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. <laughs> and so that we can have an Eeyore, or if you're into C.S. Lewis, a puddly glum view of life. And yet we, can't, we don't need that if we have a prayerful life and say, Lord, may your kingdom come. And, and then notice it's pray the Lord of the harvest. It's not give more money. It's not uh, have better techniques and strategies of church planting. Those are important. But pray the Lord of the harvest, not to have a massive revival, but to send forth workers. What would happen to this church if we would fervently pray to send forth laborers? The dangerous is the Lord may call some of you. On the other hand, I can think of no better life than, than serving the Lord around the world. And so that I think pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. But laborers can't go without money. And so giving, and I think giving sacrificially uh, so that uh, more people can go. I used to teach a foundational missions class at Trinity, and so many of the young MDiv students were anxious to serve the Lord anywhere in the world, but they said, we can't raise support. I think we could have three or four or five times as many missionaries if support wasn't a problem. And I, I realize that finances get hard and inflation is up. But what would happen if God's people gave sacrificially? And then go. I'm, I'm convinced that we need 10 times as many missionaries, for, even from the West. And I'm fully aware and delightfully aware that God is sending missionaries from Brazil. God is sending missionaries from Korea. There are 3,000 missionaries from Nigeria serving in cross-cultural aspects. Um, Ethiopia is sending missionaries to Nigeria to work with the Muslims in the north. And so we, we have missions from everywhere to everywhere. The danger is to say, well, let the nationals do it. We did our job. But I think given the fact that there are more non-Christians in the world, people have not heard, the, the, the need is greater. We desperately need all the nations to come together so that we can be a model of the internationalness of Christianity when it comes to our witness and our church planting. I was delighted to hear the, the story of what, what God is doing in Tokyo, 38 million people, and how we have a missionary wanting to go and learn the language and serve. That's exciting. And so going is important, and the world needs Westerners, because Westerners have some, sometimes have skills that others don't have, and we need each other to balance each other. The last one is encourage. Um, I'm mentoring, my wife and I are mentoring a couple now who's a Wheaton grad and now studying theology at Princeton. And they're going through some hard times. They're accepted as missionaries, but they're going through some hard times. Part of it's theological, but part of it is they don't have any encouragement. 
His parents are very dysfunctional. Her parents are Christian, but are begging her not to serve the Lord in Kenya. Please don't go. We want you to stay here. And so I think one of the, one of the greatest hindrances to missions is not people wanting to go, but parents and grandparents saying, you're crazy, we don't want you to go. Please don't go. We'll die if you do. I mean, you have a lot of um, discouragement power, and yet the Lord can also give you encouragement power. So I would encourage you to encourage those that are wanting to go. And I realize the sacrifice on parents and grandparents is sometimes greater than the sacrifice on the children. I'm fully aware of that. Um, but I'm saying, what if God would call us to be encouragers for those that are willing to go? Encouragers that are there who are discouraged. And I like the fact that many of you are actually writing letters and, and emails to some people who are discouraged. Uh, keep it up. And so would you say the key verse with me again? I don't think we need it on here, but may, may this be our heart cry and incorporate everything we have in this verse. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Let's pray. Lord, this is our heart cry. We desperately long for the nations to, to praise you. They need to know about you. <laughs> They need to know the gospel. They need to know about Jesus. So Lord, our heart cry is, may the nations praise you, O God. May they, they praise you, Jesus, for all you are for them. And I pray too that you would encourage us to have the same passion that God has for the nations. And may this passion drive our lives in every way, we pray. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the interest that the church has had for many years in spreading the gospel around the world. But I pray that there would be a fresh emphasis as a result of your speaking to the hearts of people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.